You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, as we head into 2023, it's a special New Year's episode featuring two new segments and one classic segment from the archives. First, every year on New Year's Eve, the world watches as a giant lit-up ball descends in Times Square to commemorate the New Year. But when did this tradition start, and why has it continued for over a hundred years? In 2022, the game Wordle swept the nation due to both its simplicity and its ability to give us all a quick sheared experience. But the game wasn't ever intended to be a hit. In fact, it was meant to be more of an expression of love. And from the archives, lose weight, save money, stop drinking caffeine. It's that time of the year to make New Year's resolutions. Every year we do them, and every year we mostly fail. Why? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Well, Dave, we just passed uh, the New Year's Eve celebrations, and uh, I know New Year's Eve has looked different for the both of us over the past few years, uh, kind of getting to a point where we have children, and that kind of messes with the uh, you know the evening celebration a little bit. But uh, I know when you watch the ball drop, you are a Ryan Seacrest loyalist. I've even been around you at parties where you'll be like, what, what is this? Turn this crap off. Turn Ryan Seacrest on. Why is Miley Cyrus on TV or whatever? So, yeah, you're correct. First of all, um, New Year's Eve has changed. This year did something I thought I'd never do, which was a fake ball drop earlier in the evening because people have kids and want to go to bed and it's hard to stay up. So never thought I'd do that. Fake ball drop. But here we are. Uh, yes, I'm a Ryan Seacrest loyalist on New Year's Eve. Kind of like, you know, people get into this groove where you become like a Honda person or a Toyota person or a Ford person. I'm just a Ryan Seacrest <laughs> person. Uh, I, I don't know if that's quite it. I, I don't. Uh, I think it's something deeper. I don't know what it is. It's exactly deeper, what it is. But it's something <laughs> deeper. It's well, Dave, like simple. we mentioned, uh, there's the annual tradition in New York City of the dropping of the ball. And I became kind of interested in how this tradition started and then kind of how it caught on and why it's become a thing. Because from the outside, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Dave, the ball we dropped today on New Year's, it was actually first introduced in 2008. And it's pretty impressive. It's 12 feet in diameter. It weighs 11,875 pounds. It contains 2,688 Waterford crystals and 32,256 LED lights. It can produce 16 million colors and billions of patterns. But the ball of today, it's come a long way from the first time the ball descended over Times Square. In 1903, the New York Times was about to open their new headquarters, and the paper's owner, Adolph Ox, wanted a spectacle to commemorate the occasion. On December 31st, 1903, and then for the next four years, a fireworks show was regularly put on from the roof of the building, the second tallest in New York City at the time. But in 1907, Ox craved a bigger spectacle to draw more attention to recently renamed Times Square, 
Unfortunately for Ox, though, the city had banned the use of fireworks in city limits just that year. So an electrician was hired to construct the ball, which was only five feet in diameter at the time and was made of mostly wood and iron. And then in 1907, the ball descended one second after midnight. It had to be lowered on time and by hand, unlike the computerized machine that completes the task today. But the inspiration for the idea is what I found interesting, Dave, and it was evidently rooted in an English solution to the problem of synchronizing time. The problem, Dave, was that as ships went out to sea, their clocks and their instruments would start to drift apart to the point where ships couldn't really agree what time it was because their chronometers would be all over the place. So in 1833, the Royal Observatory in Greenwich, England, had a ball installed, and at 1 p.m. every day, the ball would drop to mark the time to allow the captains of nearby ships to then set their chronometers. At least until the streamlined invention of the telegraph, this process was copied elsewhere in the world and is mimicked in the Times Square dropping of the ball. Since 1907, the ball has descended in Times Square every year with only two exceptions, 1942 and 1943. During these years, the nation was engulfed in World War II, and since the country was participating in energy and resource-saving initiatives, such as dim-outs and rationing programs, the country didn't feel like it was the best look to light up the sky with energy for the entire country to see, while everyday citizens were working actively to conserve energy. Even still, crowds gathered at Times Square during these years and observed a moment of silence at midnight in lieu of a celebration. So today, an estimated one million people attend the ball drop ceremony in Times Square, and an audience of more than a billion are expected to watch via television or live stream. And while it takes a minute to drop the ball, there is some power in that minute of countdown. Tama Starr, the granddaughter of Jacob Starr, who is credited with introducing the ball drop idea in 1907, told CNN last year, when you're concentrating really hard, time seems to slow down. It felt like the longest minute in the world. It felt like you had time to wash your hair, call your mother, change your life. You really can change your life in one minute. You can decide to be different. You can decide to be kinder and better. And so, Dave, the tradition, while it's been going on for over 100 years, has stuck as a key part of the New Year's experience. One to me that's really interesting, one, how it started in the first place, but past that, how much people love it and have adopted it. A process that to like an alien outside observer wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense, but to us is just a natural part of the cultural expression of the new year. You know, one Times Square, so the building that the ball drops on, is pretty empty. Like most of the office space, quote unquote, in there is just nothing. No one's in there because they make money from the billboards. But there is one office in there, and that is the New Year's Eve headquarters office. And so I'm assuming within that office, they have a special key where they can go into the New Year's Eve vault, which is below the building, which is where they store all the, well, I guess not all, but the last two New Year's Eve balls. So the current one is sitting up there right now. I guess just the weather affects it, Uh, and it'll be ready for next year. But the old two, the previous two, are underground. Isn't that interesting? You think that's a job, ball key holder? (laughs) Uh, yeah, maybe that's Seacrest's job. Maybe he just has it in his jacket pocket all the time. I know a key holder when I see him. Jay, we have talked about this before on the show, but really just in passing, highlighted by me saying that I am uh, basically the only person in the world that has never played this. 
But I know at one point you were a big fan of the daily word puzzle game Wordle. So are you still a Wordler? Uh, no. So I was really big into it when it first came out, and I played it very regularly every day. Uh, I work in a school, and I had hall duty in the morning. And so for that like 20-minute window, that was my Wordle time. And I would start the day by doing Wordle every day. And you're supposed to be watching the kids. Yeah, and, I'm just uh, ignoring all the kids, like, leave me alone, I'm busy. You know, and it was and it was <laughs> great for a while. But the problem for me is that when the New York Times bought it, some of the words just started getting so ridiculous. Like you'd you'd guess down to like four or five, and you'd be like, "All right, there's no way that this is the word because this is not a word." But you'd plug it in, and it would be right. And they just progressively started getting like that. And I had a streak, right? Wordle kept track of a streak every day. If you got it right, it would add one to your streak. And I had a pretty nice streak built up. And then one day. There was this ridiculous word that no one has ever used in probably 600 years as the Wordle word, and I missed it, and I lost my streak, and I got so mad that I just rage quit Wordle, and I have not played since. Ironically, if they didn't have a streak, I'd probably still be playing. <laughs> so one of the features that... Yeah, it was it. losing that streak. I was like, no, I'm done. There's no more. Well, well, as you said earlier, Jay, the New York Times does own Wordle now, but it hasn't always owned Wordle. And in fact, the origins of Wordle are pretty interesting. If you're unfamiliar with it, Wordle is a web-based word game. Players have six attempts to guess a five-letter word with feedback given after each guess. Colored tiles will appear after an incorrect guess, indicating which previously guessed letters were correct. It doesn't happen as much now, but for most of 2022, your social media feed was probably flooded with people sharing their Wordle results. People like Jay that should have been working on work. (laughs) Don't come at me. (laughs) But Jay, it really was just that simple. One word per day, every day, that's it. Well, it's safe to say, based on the Google results, that Wordle was a viral sensation. It was the most Googled word in 2022. It's still different from really any other internet craze or web game that came before it. You see, Jay, Wordle wasn't originally created for financial gain. In fact, Wordle was created for love. In 2021, Brooklyn-based software engineer Josh Wordle, spelled W-A-R-D-L-E, knew his partner, and I'm going to mispronounce her name, by the way, Palak Shah, I believe, loved word games. With no goal in mind but to create a word-guessing game that they could play together, Wordle created Wordle, spelled W-O-R-D-L-E. You get it? Eventually pushing the game from just the couple to their family. Wordle soon realized, Jay, that the game perhaps had more broad appeal than he had originally anticipated. The family was really into it. So in October of 2021, he decided he'd release the game beyond his own circle, making it free to play on the internet. And on November 1st of 2021, 90 people, Jay, 90 people played Wordle. Just two short months later, so the beginning of last year, January 1st, 2022, More than 300,000 people were playing Wordle. By mid-January, that number had risen to over 2 million people. And Jay, once again, Wordle really never planned for this game to go beyond he and his girlfriend. In fact, the original Wordle website was beyond simple. Nothing to buy, no advertisements, just the game. I think people kind of appreciate that there's this thing online that's just fun. Wordle told the New York Times in early 2022, 
It's not trying to do anything shady with your data or your eyeballs. It's just a game that's fun. Wordle also didn't have any of the features that many other internet games have. For example, there were no phone notifications prompting you to play every day. In fact, Wordle himself suggested that players spend no more than three minutes per day trying to figure out that day's word, not the 20 minutes that Jay Sisson would spend (laughs) while on hall duty. Success like Wordle, though, Jay, cannot be ignored for long. And just over a year ago, on January 31st, 2022, the New York Times did purchase Wordle from Josh Wordle for an undisclosed seven-figure amount. Wordle, having become uncomfortable with the sudden popularity of the game, was really ready to move on from it. And Jay, something else also comes with success that Josh Wordle was also uncomfortable with. He was ready to get away from the copycats. Fake versions of the game started to appear in early 2022 and still show up today. That's something a company like the New York Times is much more equipped to handle than one man. As we head into 2023, though, Jay, Wordle's growth may have slowed. It's estimated to have plateaued out at about 3 million players per day now, but its impact has not. In fact, Wordle was actually the runner-up for the 2022 Webster Dictionary Word of the Year to gaslighting. But Jay, since acquiring the game, the New York Times estimates that tens of millions of new players have been drawn to one of its other popular word games while coming to check out Wordle, the Daily Crossword Puzzle. So when it comes to interesting jobs, think about this, Jay. Just a few months ago, the New York Times hired a full-time editor to do one thing, run Wordle, meaning someone is spending roughly six to eight hours today coming up with a five-letter word to use for tomorrow. It may be the same person that's the uh, New Year's Eve key holder, perhaps. Well, I did go Google, just for good measure, just to make myself mad again, dumbest Wordle words, and the list is just absolutely infuriating. Uh, (laughs) Wooer, W-O-O-E-R. I guess this is pronounced cacao, C-A-C-A-O. What does that word even mean? Nymph, N-Y-M-P-H, and rebus, R-E-B-U-S. A rebus is a type of puzzle in which words are represented by combinations of pictures and letters. Get out of here with that. So, Dave, we're coming up on the new year, just past Christmas, and... uh for most of us, when we hit the new year, we tend to make some promises to ourselves. So do you typically make New Year's resolutions? I'm not a New Year's resolution guy, but I am actually batting a thousand on New Year's resolution success rates. So I'm one for one. I've only ever made one New Year's resolution and I have kept it to this day. And that's when I kicked soda pop. (laughs) Yeah, you used to be uh, quite the connoisseur of dr pepper back in the day uh-huh. i remember and nary a drop has touched <laughs> these lips since well come january you know many of us will make new year's resolutions but sadly dave an estimated 80 percent of all new year's resolutions fail by february in fact gyms in america on average typically see an increase of about 30 to 40 percent more traffic in january the vast majority of which is lost by march Of the most widely reported New Year's resolutions, exercising, as you would expect, falls pretty high on the list at number two, with only saving money higher. 
Uh, Other common goals include reading more books, learning a new skill, or traveling more. But why do our resolutions tend to oftentimes fail much more than they succeed? Well, a lot of it has to do with our psychology. Motivation is driven in our brains by emotion, which can be powerful and positive, but typically only if it is used for a short-term objective. Emotion is a temporary chemical release in the brain, and while that can fuel us to accomplish our short-term goals, it virtually guarantees that our long-term goals will burn out if we don't take extra steps to set ourselves up for more long-term success. And several years ago, economists Gary Sharnas and Yuri Nisi recruited 120 participants in a study that aimed to analyze motivation. A third of the participants were paid $175 for simply attending an information session and then giving researchers permission to track their gym attendance, and that was all. The next third were paid only if they attended the session, allowed their attendance to be tracked, and went to the gym at least once in the next month. And the final third of participants were paid only if they attended the informational session, allowed their attendance to be tracked, and hit the gym at least eight times in the next month. Now, unsurprisingly, the participants who were expected to hit the gym eight times worked out more, but after the payments stopped, participants in the final third who had that initial strong push kept going to the gym nearly double the times as the other participants, even when no one was getting paid. And this study, Dave, illustrates that long-term success when it comes to sticking to our goals is more attainable when we really start strong at the beginning. Putting in a burst of energy in January can really pay off for much longer than that and may motivate us to stick to our goals longer. Researchers also suggest uh, what's called the piggybacking strategy for more success in reaching your goals, which is where you pair something you want to do with something you already regularly do, such as pairing flossing with brushing your teeth specifically instead of just saying that you'll floss more. And another way you can find more success in sticking to your resolutions is to get more specific with what you want to achieve. Setting deadlines or specific milestones makes goals more achievable, such as I will run a 5K by July the 4th instead of I'll run more. Researchers also suggest that framing matters. Psychotherapist Jonathan Alpert put it this way for Business Insider. We need to feed ourselves positive self-talk. Instead of telling ourselves don't eat junk food, we should be telling us the behavior we desire, like eat carrots and peanut butter as a healthy snack. And most importantly, Dave, and really every bit of research says this about goal setting, is that you need to make goals that are specific for you. Don't be influenced by your friends or your family or society because we most set ourselves up for failure when we try to attain someone else's goal. Decide what you want to do and what you want to achieve because you are going to be much more likely to stick to that rather than begrudgingly choosing a goal that you feel obligated to choose. Researchers also caution goal setters to keep their goals realistic and attainable. Don't set yourself up for failure by setting the bar at an unattainable spot. So Dave, with all this being said, is it time for a new year, new you in 2022? Well, I'm not against it. I actually am dedicated to self-improvement. I I, I really am. I, I want to always be evolving and getting better. 
Um, but I think that New Year's resolutions are kind of like diets. Like they just don't work. It's not a sustainable thing. You've got to get into some kind of rhythm where it's something to your point that you made during your segment. It's something that you can maintain that you're not just going to drop off of after a couple of weeks. Now we've talked about gyms before. So episode 13, we talked about Planet Fitness, working out in jeans or how to disrupt an industry. Still a great title. And Planet Fitness loves January because when you go to the gym in January, especially a gym like that, you can't even get a treadmill, man. There are so many people that have signed up for just that new year, new me type model that they're just going to show up in January and then they're not going to cancel the rest of the year. And so that's how Planet Fitness stays open. But Jay, there's such a thing as fall off the wagon day. Researchers have determined that the typical day, so the usual day each year that people stop their resolution, they drop it, is the second Thursday of February. (laughs) So if you're thinking about making a resolution, go ahead and circle that date on your calendar. That's February 10th, 2022. That's going to be a tough day for you. Yeah, it's like tricky too. Like you don't want to be somebody who like judges people, you know, in the gym, like, oh, that person's not going to stick with it, you know, because I mean, there were times when before I kind of got in a consistent workout routine, it's like you start and stop and you start and stop. So it just takes time. But yeah, you really just got to make sure that you're not making an emotional decision. Yeah, well, I think there are two signs, though. People tip their hand that they're kind of posing at the gym. One is if they're working out in jeans. The second one is if they're working out in a button up put that together if they're doing jeans and a button up they're out of there they'll be out of there the second thursday in january no hear me out it's more efficient you come from work you're in your work clothes you work out you go home you don't even have to change you've shaved off a little bit of time of the day well jay here we are we find ourselves now in 2023 so you know knowing what we now know are you going to make a resolution this year? Do you have it? Uh, you know, I always make my resolution to like read X amount of books, but then I never do it. So uh, this year, I think my resolution is going to be get better at chess. I want to be better at it. You know, I've been playing it more regularly, trying to kind of improve my skills. And I want to see that rating go up a little bit. What makes So I, I like chess in theory, um, but what makes it hard for me to get into it is I feel like Anytime you're going to play chess, unless you're playing a real person, there's it's not fun because you're playing like a computer that can beat you whenever <laughs> you it wants play to. Real people on like the app, yeah, but it takes forever. It's like when when I used to. Do you ever play Words with Friends? Uh, yes. You remember when that was a thing? So you'd play Words with Friends. You'd play a letter, then somebody else would play a letter like two days later. And I'm they the kind can. of person now, that quickly loses interest. Now on you that. can set the time though. You can set it down like oh, you've only got ten minutes to make a move, or you can set it up to like five days. You know, I usually do about like two days a move just because I'm a busy man. But so you just proved my point. I mean, I'm not going to yeah, play like something that guy, takes a month yeah. to play. I'm proving your point right now. But I got randomly matched with this guy that's like driving me absolutely insane because what he'll do. Because I guess you can pause games. I didn't know that you could do this until I started playing this guy. But that you build up vacation time and you can like pause games. So I set this guy to have two days of move. Well, he runs the clock down to like five hours and then he pauses it for like four days. And then he comes back. And, and I've been playing this guy one game for like two months. And every time I log in, I'm like, well, I forgot what I did. So then I make a stupid move and then I get mad at him all over again. I'm going I'm to start telling people what I think. I'm going to message this guy, give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> Is there a chat function on it? There is, yeah. yeah. Start saying some like somewhat aggressive things to him. See what happens. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast network. 
We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Dude, I, I'm so mad. He ran it down to eight hours the other day, and it said it said that he had paused it again. And I was like, are you serious? And he's beating me so bad. He's taunting like, because He's doing what I would do to you. It's one of the, that's one of the it's problems, though. It's like he's taking so long. Seriously, say something mean to him that's also not that mean. Like, are you going to move today, dork? Like, call him like a, a really <laughs> cheesy insult and see what he does. If you were playing online chess with somebody and you didn't move for like a day and they said, are you going to move today, dork? Would you be mad? Like, would that? Yeah, I would be mad. <laughs> yeah.